0: I want to thank you for your prayers. Um, As you all would be aware, I had COVID last week, um, as as well as a lot of other people in church, uh, unfortunately. And um, I know many of them are recovering well and doing great. Um, Also, thanks for your prayers for my mum. Uh, She got COVID as well. But praise God, she was basically asymptomatic, which is pretty amazing. She's 87, has lung issues, heart issues, kidney issues. (laughs) She has a lot of issues. Um, she, uh, she, she. But so, someone with those sorts of problems are a prime target for COVID. But she didn't miss a beat. She, she's healthy and well, and uh, so we're very grateful and 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 glad that God was with her through it all and uh, continue to pray for others. Um, Damien's come down with COVID after his holiday, so pray for him and pray for others that are, are still down with it and uh, that they'll fully recover and get back to it. Now, I, I have had COVID, so I am preaching today. So it could be an interesting message because sometimes my brain gets a bit foggy. like Foggier than normal, like even more. Even, I, I might say some strange things. Even worse. Nigel, be on watch. You ready? Yeah. Okay. But I was meant to share last week, and um, thankfully uh, Ashok shared uh, in my place, which was fantastic. And I was really a bit disappointed that I couldn't share because I really felt God had placed something on my heart for the church at this time. And uh, and so when I was sitting home listening to Ashok uh, share, I was so excited because he literally shared what I was going to preach last Sunday about humility. It was exactly along the lines of what I wanted to share. And so it just confirmed to me that as a church, I believe we're on the verge of a new season, of something fresh. Uh, I believe God is wanting to do something new amongst us. Uh, But I do believe that this new thing that God wants to do is not just going to happen. It's going to require us to work for it. It's going to require us to fight for it. And I know we've been through a difficult season the last two and a half, three years almost. um, And it's not been easy. And I know a lot of us are still tired and still wary and still like recovering from what's going on. But I have a real sense that God wants to remind us that he has called us to be overcomers. That he has called each of us to learn how to deal with the obstacles that life throws at us, and stand in who we are in Christ. You know, the Bible continually uses this military style of symbolism to talk about the walk of faith. I'll share with you a few scriptures. Psalm 144, verses 1, says, says, Praise be to God, the Lord my rock, or praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. In 1 Timothy 1, it says, uh, Paul says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith. And a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Then in the next. My clicker stopped working Sam. Have you clicked on something? Thank you. Then in Timothy 1.6 he says. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then in the next passage in 2 Timothy 2. It says. Endure hardship. With us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Then Ephesians 6 clicker. (laughs) Thank you. Ephesians six. This is a well-known passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's really important to remember that our f- struggle is not with each other. It's not with other humans. Our struggle, um, where I've lost myself, is the fog. Uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. then two Corinthians ten verses three to six says For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, each of these passages makes it clear that we're in a spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle is what the walking the life of faith is all about. We're in a fight. We're in a a battle. And now, often when we tend to talk about this spiritual battle, we often can fall into the trap of focusing on the opposition. You know, we we think about, oh, the enemy's doing this to me today, or the devil's done this or this, like that sort of thinking. But I don't believe that is what God is wanting us to do in this focus. But he, I believe what he is wanting us to understand is that to grow stronger in our walk with God, we need to be prepared to fight for it. It's not about who's opposing us, it's about us having the will to fight. Jesus described it this way when he was talking about it is that the road to destruction is wide and easy and comfortable, but he said the road to eternal life is narrow and difficult and takes discipline, and takes effort. It takes uh, a willingness to stick to it. And that's why our passage here, it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Although For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So I want to look at today, how do we fight as soldiers in God's army? And the truth is it looks different to the way we expect. It's what the Bible tells us. It's not the way the world does. It's not about fighting with the world's methods and strategies. And Ashok shared powerfully last week around the, what I believe is most necessary as a soldier in God's army, the most necessary attribute for us to have is humility. So I'm going to share part two, follow on from what Ashok shared last week, and I pray that it helps cement what God is doing and wants to do in our church at this time. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the fact that you are moving and you are working and you are doing what you want to do. And I just pray right now that as your people, that we get on board with what you're doing, that we, we grasp a hold of this concept of humility and the importance of it and run with it. And run with it in such a way that it will bring breakthrough and victory and transformation not just to us but also to our community that we live in. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about continue on talking about humility. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Peter says this, commands the church, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because... God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. The first action we are called to by God is to clothe ourselves with humility. Humility is that attitude that sets you up for victory and sets you up on the right path to winning this fight that we're in. So what is humility? Well, as I shared last week, it's not about weakness. It's not about devaluing ourselves and going, oh, I'm just a worm, I'm just nobody, I'm nothing. It's not about that because Jesus declared himself that I am humble and gentle of heart. So if Jesus was humble, then it wasn't something that was all about devaluing and, and weakness. It was because we know Jesus was strong and he was determined and he knew what he was called to do. And in the same way, we are humble, but it, we remember as well that we are children of God. We have, he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us. So for me, the way I would describe humility, as simple as I could make it, is humility is simply seeing yourself as God sees you. Say that again. Humility is simply seeing yourself as God sees you. Now, the word humble or humility comes from a, a, a Latin word. That's where we derive it from. And it's a Latin word that is hummus. Not the hummus you eat. But <clears throat> hummus, and to to define it, hummus means dirt or earth. So the idea there. As Christians, we understand that God created us from the dirt. Isn't that right? So someone who is humble is someone that we would describe as down to earth or grounded in modern terms. We like to say people are grounded. In other words, they know where they come from. So you think about this for a moment. Where do we come from? Well, the Bible tells us that God took the dust, took the dirt and breathed his life into it and gave it form and gave, gave it the image of God and that out of that dirt, God created us, you and me. That that's where we come from, which tells us that without God's breath, we are nothing. We are just dirt, we are just dust. So this is, So when I say seeing yourself as God sees you, it's literally remembering where you came from. That without God, we are nothing. Without God, we are just dust. To remember that our very life in our bodies is a gift from God. So if we think about how God sees us, the fact is God sees us in need of his life. He, God sees us in need of his grace. God sees us as, as receivers of everything he has. So when God looks at us, he understands this is is my creation that I've created for my purpose, for my pleasure. And so God sees us, if I put it as simply as possible, as ones that need him. That's why he sent a saviour for us, because he knew we needed a saviour. So when it comes to humility... When we are vulnerable enough to acknowledge we don't have everything it takes to get through life, then that is what humility is all about. I'll say that again. When we're vulnerable enough to say we don't have whatever it takes to get through life and acknowledge that we need help, then that is the beginning of humility. That's where it starts. And the exciting thing, as our scripture says, is that when we do humble ourselves, God gives us his grace. God gives us his favor. So humility is our ability to assume a position of need, to assume a position of dependency, to assume a position of obedience by recognizing that God is the creator and we are the created. We're not the creators, we're not the initiators, we're not the movers and shakers, God is. Our role is to humble ourselves by acknowledging God's creator and my position is under him. My position is to rely on him. My position is to depend upon him. So in relation to fighting this battle, we resist this world and everything that it throws at us and everything it offers us by standing firm in our faith that God is everything that we need. And that's humility. That's how we fight this fight is by starting. The starting point is to start in that place to say, God, you're in control. You're the creator. I'm the created. I humble myself. I bring myself under your mighty hand and allow you to do what you want to do. And I stand in the knowledge that I am your creation and that you made me for your pleasure. So let's have a look at what characterizes a humble soldier. Number one, humility is honest. So the closest attribute to humility is honesty. It's about saying it as it really is with no pretension. So acknowledging I'm the creator, you're the creator, that's who I am. See, a good soldier knows who they are. They don't try to be something, they're not, and then they know a good soldier is honest enough to know they can't do it by themselves. They understand that the first step to winning this battle is understanding they can't do it themselves and calling on God for help. and not just and it doesn't stop there. It also then involves us calling on each other for help. Is't that right? And this is the exciting thing. Jesus said it this way in Matthew. whoever becomes like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who knows the saying that they say these days? There's two things in the world that are honest, children and yoga pants. (laughs) (laughs) Yoga pants, you know, like your tights. (laughs) Marie. Marie. Is that okay, Nige? No? Sorry. All right. But let's, let's look at this a bit further. The truth is uh, children are able to be honest because they live in a place of dependence. So it's from the day they are born, they know that if they cry, their mother or their father is going to feed them. Or if they're, going to, if they're uncomfortable and they cry, their mother or father are going to change their nappies. So they learn from an early age that they can be honest about what's going on in their life. They can say, you know, or before they can even say anything, they can cry out and they will get the attention of their parents. And it's from this place of dependence that they learn from their parents and they learn uh, to trust their parents in this type of environment. And in that place, they're able to be honest, not just about their needs, but even about the things that they see. And this is the kind of honesty that Jesus is looking for in his followers. Those would learn to depend upon him and rely upon him and to trust him, that they would be able to be as honest as they can be for what is going on in their life and what is happening around them. This is the idea that we have about, um, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches, that he wants us, the branch cannot exist without the vine. And he wants us to depend on him and abide in him and rely upon him. And from that place of trust and honesty that you are, God, you are the vine and I'm the branch. You are the creator and I am the created. I love that picture on the restore um, flyer for the worship night last week. That's actually taken from a photo when Julie and I were walking the Camino a couple of years ago. And God spoke to me from that experience because we were walking this path and all of a sudden this man came walking around or no a whole lot of sheep came walking towards us and and, uh, we're like whoa who's got these sheep and then all of a sudden the sheep stopped and look at us and then a man came around the bend and he rang he whistled and rang a bell and the sheep kept on walking And, and all of a sudden I realized that the picture of the shepherd That Jesus is leading us and guiding us and he is there. Sometimes he's behind us and pushing us along. Other times he's walking in front of us and we're trying to keep up. But the fact is the truth of the matter is that we are the sheep and he is the shepherd. And when we're honest enough to accept that, that's what humility is all about. The second thing about humility is it knows its place. Good soldiers understand the chain of command. We understand this even from Jesus' life himself, that when he was here on earth, he submitted to the will of the Father and obeyed him. So sub- submission and obedience are simply humility in practice. It's what it looks like in, in practice. So it's, not a, it's, it's all about not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And uh, as our scripture said in Corinthians, it's about taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. So learning to obey Christ in everything, not just in action but in thinking and, and from your thinking flowing to your actions. So this is uh, the importance of, of knowing your place is submitting yourself under God's mighty hand. The Bible teaches us that we are to submit ourselves to God first and foremost. also talks about the importance of submitting to your authorities but it also teaches us in the church that we are to submit to one another out of respect for God's way and God's work. In Ephesians 5, 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submission is all about trust. So trusting those around you can be an an expression of your ability to trust God. So there's a, a line of thought that tells us that if we can't submit to one another and even submit to authorities here on earth, how are we ever really going to feasibly submit to God appropriately when God asks us to do stuff? You know, I saw a really interesting movie a few weeks ago called The Duke. It's about a true story based on a guy who stole a really famous painting in England. And he was a really simple guy. And they he got caught and, and he had to go to court. And they were talking to him and they he started to talk about his philosophy in life because he stole it. So he was planning to sell it to raise money for the poor. And the judge or the lawyers asked him why, what was his thinking. And he goes, well, my simple philosophy is that you are me and I am you. And so everything I do, I do to you as if you were me. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so the thinking there is that we need to understand that we are all in this together. And so we submit to one another by saying, I want the best for you because what the, the best for you is the best for me. Does that make sense? So this is the idea of a humble soldier, a humble person, a humble church, a humble, humble congregation, is that we submit to one another. In other words, as Jesus says, we lay our lives down for each other, as Jesus did for us. So we don't Think of, oh, I don't think of myself as, oh, I'm the mighty pastor up the front of the church who preaches and you all have to listen to me. No, I learn as much from you as you learn from me, hopefully. That when we sit and talk and we share and that we we iron sharpens iron and we learn from each other and we grow. Isn't that right? This is what God's called us to as as a church, to to know our place and to submit to each other and to, in submitting we are practising Jesus' law of loving each other as Christ loves us. The last thing I'll share is, it's got stuck again, Sam. Humility is generous. Philippians 2 talks to us about Jesus and says there, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Humble people are generous people. Jesus is our greatest example of this, is that when there was a need, when there was a problem, he chose to lay aside his divinity and become a human like us. He gave up his whole position in heaven, all his power, all his rights to become one of us so that he might help us. I can't think of anything more generous than that. He held nothing back. He gave completely of himself. And I believe for us, if we're humble people, we are generous because we are grateful. We're grateful for what God has done for us. We're grateful for God's generosity that we see here. We're grateful that we understand that he generously gave everything for us. And so... I don't know about you, but we sang about it this morning in "How Great Thou Art." Um, it's just incredible, and when you sing that, you're overwhelmed by what God has done for you, and you want to respond and say, "God, everything I have is yours. I give back. I want to live generously, like you lived generously. I want to, uh, I want to live my life by seeing the glass half full, seeing." Seeing that I've got so much, I'm so grateful that you've given me so much, rather than seeing it as half empty and thinking, who ripped me off here? Uh, want As Christians, we want to be those sorts of people who are grateful for everything that we have. Even the breath in our body is a gift from God, and that we thank him for that. And so we must respond with gratefulness and generosity for all that God has done in whatever way we can, whether it's in our time or our resource, in our finances, but every part of our life we, we say is a, is a gift for God to use, that we would open our hearts to him to say, because of your great generosity, God let us be generous as well. I want to close with a powerful example of this in an encounter Jesus experienced in Luke 7. And we'll share it and have a chat about it. But it says, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with, with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet And Simon said, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Now the point of this story is really not about the amount of sin of either party. But the point of the story is all about the attitude towards the one who forgives. So You see on one side we have Simon, the Pharisee. And we see the power that pride can take in our lives in its ability to show genuine respect to Jesus. Now, he had Jesus in his home. From this story, it even says he invited Jesus to his home. Now, in those times, when you had someone in your home, the way you treated them once they were in your home showed your alliance with them. So this man was obviously a proud Pharisee, and so he refused to give Jesus simple hospitality because he was worried about his reputation. Because if he had given Jesus a bowl to wash his feet with and if he had kissed Jesus on the cheek and if he had anointed his head with oil then he would have been declaring that Jesus and I are friends. And I agree with everything Jesus is saying and I am a part of him, his life. But he deliberately chose not to because he was more worried about his own reputation and probably about what others would think. So he chose not to because he was too proud that he had too much to lose in this situation. But on the other side, we have this woman who has a shameful history. And this woman with this terrible reputation chose instead to humble herself at Jesus' feet and to wash Jesus' feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair, and then take that alabaster box and anoint him with something that was probably very, very valuable to her. And in her humility, we see in the story, she receives salvation and breakthrough for her life. But the situation required her to put her place herself in a place where she could be ridiculed and humiliated. And let's be honest, for all intents and purposes, she was. Because in that moment, Jesus said, pointed out what she was doing, pointed out the fact of what Simon was saying and tells his story that made everyone in the room, who probably knew already, but knew that she was a sinner. But in her act of humility to say it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. And I I need to acknowledge Jesus because I know he is the truth, he is the life. I'm gonna say that I align myself with him by washing his feet with my tears, by anointing his head with my oil, I'm gonna that I'm declaring that I am his. I belong to him. I I believe in what he's talking about. I am one of his followers. And in that moment of humility, of acknowledging Jesus, God gives her grace. God forgives her sins. And God brings salvation to her house. You see, in God's kingdom, humility will always bring breakthrough. We see it in Jesus' life. He humbled himself, came to earth as a human, died on the cross, but rose again to give us victory, to give us victory over death and sin. The path of humility will always bring victory. The path of humility will always bring breakthrough. The path of humility will always bring God's grace. I'm going to finish with one last scripture. It's one Ashok used last week. But I believe it's probably really appropriate for us at this time because I know what I'm talking about is stepping back into a place where we say, God, I want whatever you want. God, I'm going to start to fight again I'm going to start to humble myself again I'm going to start to bring myself before you and and put myself in a place where God whatever you want I'm willing to do but I I I know as the pastor of this church that most of us are pretty tired we're pretty worn down from the last few years and it's it's like so I stand up here you know challenged to preach this but I I have a sense that God wants us to step up again. But I'm excited because Jesus himself says in Matthew 11:28, 28, guys, he says to us, Come to me, all you, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want to encourage us today, before we pray, no matter how tired you might feel, how worn down you might feel, you're not going to find any solutions in any other place but at the feet of Jesus. You're only going to find rest for your soul, by humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I acknowledge you as my creator, that I'm the created, and I put my life in your hands. I choose to depend on you, not in my own way. So this morning as we come to a close, I want to pray. And I want to invite us to do exactly that to choose the path of humility, to say, God, I'm yours. I give you everything. Whatever you want me to do, I'll choose to do. So why don't we pray? Well, the starting point in your kingdom is not always what we expect you don't come with huge fanfare and and a whole lot of ceremony and exaggerated efforts to grab attention but you humbled yourself and became a baby a child even before that an embryo you put your place in a you put yourself in a place of need and dependence as an example for us to follow. But through that process of humility and dependence and need, God used you to do what no one else could do. God, I just pray for us right now in this place as a church, each individual here and us as a as a body that we would choose the path of humility as well. Not for big fanfare or anything else, but just to just to say, your will be done, God. Less of me and more of you in this life. That we acknowledge you in everything we do and choose to depend on you in every step of the way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. There's something for you to consider and ponder and as you step out and uh, step into your week this week. For the kids who go back to school, parents are happy. But uh, let's uh, continue to choose the path of humility. And um, let me encourage you, Uh, Pop-Up does come back this week. You're very welcome to come and join us to help out in whatever way you can or just be a part of sitting at tables talking to people. We'd love that. Um, But yeah, let's start this process. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be sharing about what this fight is all about as well. Next week, I'll share another part of what I believe... A way that we're called to fight in the area of prayer, and uh, we'll talk about that. And um, just believe God has got some good things in store for us. And uh, but it takes us by position, it takes us positioning ourselves properly to start with, for that to be possible. Amen.